Hey everybody, welcome back to the High Rith and Other Words podcast. I am your host, Timothy Mangle, and with me is my buddy, Kyle Nickler. Mm-hmm. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Timmy? I am. I'm doing all right. We both just got off work. Mm-hmm. So we are just hanging out in our nice denim shorts <laughs> and blue shirts. Yeah, exactly. We weren't even trying to match and it oh. worked. It's, we were actually, before we talked, before mm-hmm. we jumped on here, we were talking about the universe and how it just kind of coincident. It, 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 I mean, coincidence isn't the right word, but how just serendipitous moments or, or connections aren't, they're just everywhere when you know how to look for them. Oh, absolutely. So um, two good instances come to mind since I know you were waiting to talk about my travel around the world. <laughs> um, so right when I got to Australia... Um, the first town I had stopped in was Brisbane Mm -hmm. and I was walking around the botanical gardens. Um, and you know, ultimately my plan was to stay at a Krishna community about a week later from arriving in Australia. And I was walking around the gardens and as I'm leaving there, I see a monk chanting and I have this like, are you serious? (laughs) I've only ever seen one Krishna devotee before. And that was I was probably 15 at the time. I thought they were a Buddhist. I was so confused up until... I would probably I mean, I about would say, three years ago. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to tell the difference. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I mean, unless I mean, unless like you're trained in it, and that's like when people who you know are don't really understand. I don't understand Hinduism like at all. I, outside of being like, well, that's I can tell the difference between like someone who would just kind of. I see. I wouldn't know anything outside of like Hari Krishna, and I also don't even know the proper name for the devotees of a Hari Krishna. Well, I think just devotee of Krishna would okay. work. Um, I'm sure there's like a Hebrew name that's like Amashada Sada Krishna. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to feel mocking you, but that's not, I'm sorry. There, there's bound to be one. I mean, like, you know, people that worship Shiva or Shivites mm. or people that worship Brahmin or Brahm, Brahmanas, Brahmana, something like uh, that. Some variation of that. Yeah. But um, I've only ever heard devotees. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I mean, that's a great think. term. Because, I mean, I love. I love the idea of devotion, and maybe mm-hmm. that's something that we'll get into, but I I have no problem with calling myself a devotee of, of Christ or, or something like that, because it's the, I yeah, just like I said, I love the, I, the idea of devotion, of being like, I'm going to intentionally focus my energies on y- this thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, being uh, I was gonna say Krishna, that too, he mm-hmm. pops up from time to time. But like my main two, go-to guy is Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyways, before we kind of start going down that route, I actually just I want to ask you because I don't even know if we've ever ha- really had this conversation. But how did you get into spirituality? Is it something that you've always had, or is it what's what's that look like for you? It's been a meandering path. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so. I mean, a large part of that was definitely my family because my mom is a pretty traditional Lutheran. If they're traditional, they're pretty mild. As yeah, I was going to say, as, as far uh, as Christianity goes, it's like Catholic, it's diet Catholic. Just yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and my dad was Christian. I, I feel bad talking on his religious sure, beliefs because sure. it's such a big segment of your personality. Right. And but, I'm sure um, he's going to listen. So, hi, Mr. Nicholas. Hi, Dad. Um,. <laughs> But he's always had Buddhist sympathies, so there's always been some degree of um, that influence on me. 
Um, but then past that, as we've gotten older, um, I remember my, sorry, mom, <laughs> uh, when I was a teenager and we'd go to church, I had a real fascination in reading the satanic Bible, uh, mm-hmm. when we were dur- in the sermon, because I didn't want to listen to what they were saying. Sure. Um, and from there it kind of turned into this, uh, well, if I've read one, why not read a couple others? Mm-hmm. Cause I remember in ninth grade, uh, I had this combined history and English class where instead of just reading books, you're talking about writing structure, getting history. It was supposed to be exposure to seeing, hey, this is how they wrote, this is how it evolved. Mm-hmm. And I remember they had a section where they had talked about Eastern philosophy, and in my mind I went, oh, this is really cool. I remember hearing about this. I should probably keep up with this. Yeah. So it really started from there. Um, but the first time I had met that Krishna devotee, <clears throat> That was definitely a codifying moment, which is part of the, like, respect I have for Krishna. Mm. Because this is... uh, How old am I? So this is seven or eight years ago. This was shortly after I had stopped eating meat and I had just become a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a Vegetarians Reincarnate Better sticker from them. (laughs) And uh, it was... I mean, yeah, (laughs) but that's hilarious. And, you know, from there, it really kind of just continued this, like, oh, man, I'm interested to see where it's going. And after a while, um, Ramdas was one of the later teachers I had found. Mm -hmm. But between Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna, Mm. um, those two had really opened my eyes to want to read more. Yeah, and they're, they're really good for, like, coming from a, especially if you don't really have a pre-existing relationship with the idea of god as Mm -hmm. kind of like you know i mean you'll be aware of this but i guess in spirituality there's kind of these two paths of either non-duality or kind of devotion as the Mm -hmm. the opposite about that absolutely and for me i'm i appreciate very much so the non-dual aspect and i love that but like i said i'm very much caught up in the drama of separation and then you know coming back and cleaving like the mm-hmm. word bhakti means bhakti bhakti yoga is cleave it's a cleaving yoga it's a devotion thing or it means devotion it's that idea of like mm-hmm. of being drawn onto something you know um and yeah like i said alan watson terence mckenna they're they're great at personifying the thing outside of kind of christian or mm-hmm. catholic worldview you because know? Uh, I also forgot to say that how I know you, but this is my buddy uh, Kyle. <laughs> we play shows together. Um, we've only ever done like probably like two or three, right? Somewhere in Somewhere that, in not that, yeah. all that many. Um, yeah. You know, by the time I'd graduated high school, because I started in the music scene when I was 13, so yeah. it's really just middle school and high school for the most part. Uh, Luke, who plays with me, started going to right. college, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's in the Army. He's actually... If you're looking for a good guest, you should reach out to him. Oh, really? He's one year away from getting his master's degree in theology. Oh, really? Uh, to be a Lutheran minister in there the army. What? Oh, really? Yeah, he also knows okay. Greek. Oh, uh, really? So, like, when we write songs, and I guess we can get more to the album at some point, yeah. uh, we'll have, like, Greek letters he's written or read, and we'll take quotes from that and string it into mm-hmm. the album or you know other things he's gotten from like the council of nicaea that he thought was a cool addition that's that's so cool all right let's let's not (laughs) jump ahead we're jumping all around so okay so yeah then what did that look like for you once you kind of so you said about seven or eight years ago is when you like came across this yeah started getting more into it um and at that point it was really kind of just 
reading text. It was a very here and there type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you four years ago, maybe five is when I started getting a bit more serious because I have all these tattoos and I wanted to get this one of Siddhartha Gautama yeah. on my shin. Um, and I had this moment, and I still kind of do this when I get tattoos, where if I'm back and forth about it, uh, if it's positive character reinforcement, then I get the tattoo. Mm. Um, so that's why I have all of these holy images tattooed on me (laughs) well right that's that's really funny because when i first started getting tattoos i made kind of a pact with god and i was like listen i'm only going to get ones that i can use to glorify you i mean my first Mm -hmm. ever tattoo was a star david and my well actually no my first one was i have the word life tattooed inside my lip that's cool yeah so speak life and then Mm -hmm. then star of david uh my dog's barking in the background everybody you're going to be hearing that on and off hope you don't mind but um yeah, and so eventually I was like, maybe I can, you know, well, everything is kind of an expression of to the glory of God. To some, everything can be used. Like, mm-hmm. if I get this to remember my home state, like, again, that's it's it's devotion, it's gratitude for that thing. And it's always going to go back to just the same source, you know? Yeah, um, Islamic scholars have this belief, and I don't know if it's in the Quran or the Hadith. Um, but basically, <laughs> uh, is that uh, every breath you take from birth until death is just one different way of pronouncing the holy name. Right. Um, well, which kind of ties into this whole, like, you know, there, there only is the truth. Um, right. There only is what is. And yeah. It's, and it's the names that we subscribe to it that... We, kind of start off that separate path of yeah and they're just symbols for what's actually there and you know what ends up right. happening is the most painful thing is to remember that you're always connected to this world because mm. that's the challenge which like uh you know under the uh, i guess it's in the Mahabharat where they stated the like different yugas that happen or the ages right mm. now is kali yuga which is okay. considered to be the most difficult age for humans to exist you spiritually say if, if kali is involved that's I'd not good <laughs> kali is for those of you who don't know kali is like the she's the god of she's the mother of like time and death kind of thing she's a, a destructing force she's kind of the counterbalance for shiva as a right. feminine right as um, like shiva being like the power like the positive like creative like well Shiva's kind of like destruction and ignorance but on the true. same token under so this is where and you would know much gets, better than me so you, i'm gonna shut up and let you talk <laughs> so hinduism gets difficult because um, no shit you know aside from the 33 million gods <laughs> um, all that aside yeah depending on which one of the triad and which triad you use because there's different ones if you're krishna conscious they have the like classical or the new age ones sure um and then you have like brahma shiva vishnu each of them have right. their own stories about it but under krishna consciousness which i've studied the most yeah same um shiva is the greatest devotee of krishna because like he has all of these negative aspects mm-hmm. uh per se sure. but um that wasn't what he wanted to do he was given that task by krishna because he was the most devoted um so there's this one story of him meditating in deep thought and this can't remember what happens but it's a beautiful woman that comes up to him and she's trying to distract him and he actually flinches when she touches him because mm-hmm. he's just so entranced in the like loving spirit of work right yeah and i i love those i mean i'm a i'm a huge fan of any tour any sort of iconography i mean my my favorite story from hinduism is of uh hanuman mm-hmm. when uh because he's again you know to he represents to some degree to, to which i understand devotion and jesus that right would yeah. be the closest parallel oh yeah absolutely hinduism. well because i mean literally even part of 
uh, Hanuman's story is he's sent by uh, is it Krishna or Shiva? Um, one of I, no, it's it's Ram. Mm-hmm. Ram is embodied in something, and he's trapped somewhere, and he needs Hanuman to go and retrieve his bride for him. Something like that. Yeah. So I don't know the Ramayana all that well. Which sure. um, when I was in Rishikesh, people actually consistently corrected me when I would ask them <laughs> questions. Like I have never relentlessly been persecuted for my bad understanding of a book. <laughs> Has that town? Hey, you won't, they have, you won't like, get it here, man. That's good. Yeah, because uh, they have I'm two huge bridges. They have the Ramjul and the uh, Ramjul. Can I? Can I just say this, just for people at home that aren't, don't, you know, maybe aren't interested in Hinduism, or maybe are like, why? What's the big fuss about mm-hmm. it, or or whatever? I guess for me, there is this deep, deep, deep appreciation for the fact that. You know, kind of like what we were saying, there's one truth and there's one whatever. And these people have sat and just meditated on that. And they didn't have all the problems of the West, of cross, you know, mm-hmm. um, cultural. Like, and again, just how, I mean, they, broadly speaking, had a more coherent culture than all of Europe. So for their narrative, their spiritual narrative, like mm-hmm. we haven't even gotten that to be a closest. But here, as you're also speaking, I also see the parallels with, like, modern-day Christianity because it's just, you know, there's so much. So, yeah, the one thing that was very interesting studying the history of Hinduism is um, with the parallels of Christianity, Hinduism had the uh, caste system created, which codified this division of labor that existed within them and having the holy men the brahmins be one of the working class Mm -hmm. uh, where their job was to sit on the street have a begging bowl and people would donate food pretty much guaranteed that there would always be people doing this while um and this is summarizing just because christian history is yes in so many different places i can't get all of them effectively in one blanket statement but um you know nations would conquer another one claim all legal representative right install their pastors there create the clergy use that to then help uh, further their society Mm -hmm. so in the west religion's been more of an instrument for setting up society where i see in the east the reason hinduism had such a good job and in my mind is so open and accepting because to me the more i study hinduism and that's not even a real word per se because right. like it's, it's just this term broad. for it's beliefs too, from the hindus right india. from like yeah let's just um, and that's just that's just india when we talk about just the beliefs of this one country and again because there's so it's so ancient it's become so broad you yeah know? exactly and i think to some degree that is a little bit of its saving grace because it's it it gets to a point where it's like yeah, come on in. Like, we're, we're all a part of this thing that we're trying to understand. And that, that's the thing I've enjoyed the most is um, a large part of the, like, uh, Abrahamic religions, their dogma's pretty, this is it, this is the way, you can't waver from it. And there's a lot of value to doing that because mm-hmm. you have to draw a line in the sand with points. Um, but what I think kind of gets failed is when I have discussions with, I've never really talked to a actual guru that i can believe is a genuine guru because in india every third person's a guru (laughs) but um (laughs) and here yeah exactly especially on instagram (laughs) yeah man and i mean you uh, to quote jesus you will know uh, a tree by its fruit so Mm -hmm. that's where i'm like hey you can you can claim to be whatever you want i will know a tree by its fruit if you claim to be enlightened if you claim to be a guru Mm -hmm. i will know a tree by its fruit 
Yeah, and uh, but I'm not gonna shit on anybody who's like trying to like be a person that's like putting themselves out there spiritually, because it's the world. I think the world does need that. I think I don't know. I I worry about our society because of the lack of a coherent spiritual. Narrative. Yeah, which um. This circles back to this point with Kali Yuga, sure. which is because this is considered to be the most like degraded, difficult, Separated. yeah, diluted um, state humans could exist in. Which, if you study the Cabal, um, mm-hmm. they actually have this like belief that humanity had fallen consciously and is kind of at the lowest level it could be right now. Yeah, which, which is peculiar that it parallel ideas. Well, I like the idea. It makes me happy that this is as low as we can go. I'm mm-hmm. sure like collectively if we decided to be worse we could. <laughs> but like I'm happy that there's I mean there's it seems that we can only go up from here cuz mm-hmm. it's like well we can only seem to learn to love and what's beyond love and what is it what does it even look like if we all work together and you know. Yeah, so this is um with these different yugas, the ages. Mm-hmm. Um with Kali Yuga because this is the most difficult one to live in, it's also the most rewarding because all you have to do <clears throat> is chant or meditate or just take a moment and think about like the glorious opulence of God or everything or the universe or whatever right. you want to call it, wherein, you know, the more interconnectedness of everything. Yeah. Right. But in more, you know, perfect per se lives, you would have to, you know, always be in perfect meditation because you already have this connection, which means right. that although we're in the toughest one to kind of get your attachment and happiness, it's also the easiest to do. So that way, if you make a mistake, mm-hmm. you have the least distance to go back. Right. Yeah, that's true. God, I haven't even thought about that of having to like go super forward in the spiritual journey, but then also have to take like a cosmic step back or something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it would work or whatever. Like, who's to say? Because I guess my practice is like I'm here. Like, I'm not going to worry about my karma Mm -hmm. super far down the road because like I'm just trying to be nice to the people around me at the moment. You know? Yeah. Um, Because that's. I think it's so easy to get caught up in a lot of this stuff for Christians for even for Eastern philosophy is this idea of, well, I'm whatever I'm doing now is because of the later consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, I'm like, it's just nice to be nice to people. Now I should speak the truth now. Like I'm not going to worry about whether or not this is going to come back to me. I'm just going to try to do the best that I can now and hope that the universe understands that, that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, and meet meets me at that level, you know? But I, you know, do want to be aware of, I don't know. I yeah. I I guess the idea of God. I the speaking on what it goes beyond here is so above my pay grade. I because it just exists beyond language. Because mm. uh, what happens is you know with our split mind. I don't know what it would be called, but post bicameral thought that we have. In I don't know what conscious. that would mean. Um, so, so like bicameral. Uh, was like Mesopotamia time okay. the way people thought um, was closer to how schizophrenics think now oh, really? uh, and there was more interjected words that weren't you in your mind because okay. it was your, the development of your it internal monologue like, okay. which is why when you look back in earlier religious texts they have way more talks of all of these like disembodied voices talking to you mm-hmm. I mean I don't necessarily know if this is the truth but I found this textbook from the 70s that's sure. very convincing argument sure. um, that basically as time's been going on and spiritual development's been happening um, it's been less reliant on your internal monologue telling you and more of intuitions kind of becoming the leading guide that's very interesting um, because I also I wonder 
I would love to do some sort of book or a speak or, or something. I would love to do something on the evolution of religion to from. I'm very curious about the evolution, at least in the West, from mono uh, pantheism to monotheism, and then kind of the rejection of monotheism as a culture, and with that is as coming into a sort of a non-dual state. But I don't know if that's intentional or not. It, I mean, I don't necessarily know where it's going, but it definitely reminds me of the quote by Nietzsche with the God is dead, but everyone kind of forgets the second part, which is, and we can't wash the blood off our hands. Right. Um, and that's kind of where it makes me think of, you know, I've, I'm not that much of a history scholar to know, but I've heard that the way people interact right now and are being more reclusive is very similar to how Rome was when it fell. Mm. Um, and I know that they had deterioration in their religious culture as well. So I, I, I that's not necessarily to say that has to be the one thing, but religion's kind of the thing that like tethers you back to the world. And we need to instill some type of like belief that being with other people is beneficial because in economic thought, people kind of feel like afraid of society and feel like it actually hurts them and stops them from being able to do the things that they should individually be able to mm -hmm. uh, because they're limited by all these other roles and pretenses they have to fulfill. Right. And I also think that there's like a huge uprise in social anxiety that, you know, at least from my, um, you know, just from my looking out into the world, I don't see that that being there in the previous generations as much as people being as scared to congregate. And I wonder if I think I feel like there's probably a balance there between the uprise of the Internet and also kind of the fall of Western values in religion and also how we should actually be nice to each other you mm -hmm. know that that was kind of an underlying tendency of like you're supposed to be nice to each other now i don't think i feel like that is kind of like a well we're nice to each other if if you it allows some, it. yeah so what's in it for me now right uh, if it's if beliefs. if if the at least at least i'm speaking about like my world that i'm experiencing is like w I will be nice to you if you've proven to me to, that you were worthy of me being nice to you. Mm -hmm. And I won't really acknowledge you outside of that. And I worry that that kind of happens because we don't have this coherent, at least, idea of, like, we at least all belong together. You mm -hmm. know, because people can't even agree what an American means, you know? I, yeah, exactly. And... <clears throat> It brings me to this thought from the Tao where it's kind of like words are like symbols and at best we can point to the moon, but we can never actually become the moon. Right. And it's by, you know, consistently breaking up all of these different thoughts. Like, I'm not saying that a hive mind would be great because that would eliminate individuality, but this would definitely solve those issues if there was a collective consciousness. Or at least like a, con a collective understanding of, um, you know, or at least some sort of. Because, again, like, kind of going back to what you were saying, it doesn't have to be, like, just one religion or whatever that rules over the land, but it's at least the collective idea that we can all get behind. But I think to some people's ears that might sound like, well, then we get rid of the idea of uh, this being a, a nation with many religions or whatever that would be. But I think I'm, what I'm trying to say is at least that we would all be at a level of you know, because, you know, from just studying the Bible, you see these old tribes that are just warring 
the the gods are at war because it's your god versus my god and mm-hmm. eventually history will show which god is superior because i will just beat you and then that god is the god and then so we continue to kind of move forward through that and for whatever reason the the jewish god has remained and then brought up with it um i mean islam and christianity mm-hmm and that all went west. And I don't really remember what my major point was, but there you go. There you have some thoughts. <laughs> but th- this does tie me back to, I kind of see a path that spirituality is working on. I just don't necessarily see what the next step will be. I would agree. Um, because as written language developed, um, and then agriculture as well, is when they kind of switched from the like matriarchal system where everyone was more reliant on neighboring and helping people grow to a more dominator society where, as you were saying, it was the fight of the gods and whoever won was the will of the world. Um, and I see that eventually there's probably going to be some flip that happens back. Um, and in my mind, uh, if you track like the number of users on the internet, there's actually slightly more females than males, hmm. uh, like by the slightest margin. Mm-hmm. But well, there's also more females than males on the planet too. Mm-hmm. So, um, and to do with the, you know, the internet's kind of our greatest and male collective dumber, conscious. Probably that's but another <laughs> point. <laughs> Sorry, I got you off, buddy. Um, but. Uh, you know, the internet's kind of like our collective consciousness. Mm-hmm. So if you see it, it's kind of like, oh, there's already a shift moving back to this energetic, like, female dominant. And I don't think it'll necessarily even be in our grandchildren's generation by the time it starts being more obvious. But mm-hmm. I think that the world's going to have to, especially with our hand forced by climate change, uh, really start to take care of each other. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think... I think from what I've heard, I don't spend much time with people that are like that much younger than me, but I, I do have a couple of friends that are like 18, 19 in that area and having conversations with them. I'm like, what is, what is your gener? I mean, I don't even know how old you are. 20. Well, I turned 25 in two weeks. Okay. Well, happy birthday in two Thank weeks you. from now. <laughs> Everyone set your alarm, but, uh, <laughs> August 19th. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Send them gifts. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, from what I've heard that they do have this more I collective idea of like we need to take care of the world like the world like the physical planet needs to be taken care of mm-hmm. um, and it does um, and I I mean I you know I got a, at least 60 more years left or something like that and I hope that the rest of my time here is devoted to the bettering of my community and whatever and that I don't just you know check out at a at an age and just being like well I'm 40 now I've done my like share you know I because that is a very like nihilistic take when people kind of just have their I'm past my prime I'm done but mm-hmm. uh, you know there is really no prime per se because you know you could make any type of momentous change at any time right. in life and, you, know, you know a good part of it is also timing just being there at the right spot mm. Um, but, you know, consistently keeping yourself in it because with bhakti yoga, um, they have this yoga ladder as described in the Bhagavad Gita, which I'm blanking on the very bottom one and it'll come to me tonight when I'm falling asleep. <laughs> That's fine. But the second one is, um, yana yoga, which is like knowledge. Oh, now I remember. There you go. Okay. So the base level is yana yoga, uh, which is like knowledge, which means reading holy scriptures and, you know, finding a place that these things relate but then the next level on this 
three-tiered yoga ladder is karma yoga where you pretty much just have the hey what i do affects someone else and it comes back around and then bhakti yoga is kind of like the marriage of the both where you're saying hey there's all these holy scriptures that exist out here with a guide but what you do comes back around so now mm-hmm. that you have this information uh if you do it it's gonna smack you uh right yeah if you're not paying attention which yeah. um in that same part of the gita where uh, krishna describes this to arjuna um he also says that if you take one step towards god or religion or spirituality those concepts take 10 steps towards you and if you mm-hmm. take one step away they take one step back from you mm-hmm. um so it really always is this like force to pull you man and that's what i really love about the universe if i can just be like uh like if i can just gush over it for a second is just this idea of like if i do put like a foot forward it does mm-hmm. it's like it you know it 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 takes all its invitation you know if i'm like i'm here to love you and it's like i'm here to love you more you know mm-hmm. and it it pushes to its you know and i i i knew that when i was younger but i don't know it like i know it now because even when i'm in rough periods i'm i can look kind of back and just be like oh you and especially it's 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 a little bit easier with me with Krishna for some reason to be like you you trickster. I mean that's just <laughs> because like um you know with Krishna you have like uh, so with Jesus your attachment to him is more so like his adult life. Mm-hmm. Um and the appealing thing with Krishna is they have like baby Krishna right. where like um you know he's down by the river eating a bunch of clay and his mom comes up <laughs> and is like Krishna stop eating this clay and he opens his mouth and his mother sees the entire universe <laughs> and all like senses and. Feels and sights inside of his mouth as she's looking in on her, looking into his mouth. And, like, you just have these moments where you're just like, ah, oh, the universe is playing a joke on me because that's just what he does. Yeah, because that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I mean, you kind of get that with Jesus a little bit. And ultimately, like, even the resurrection is a little bit of a trickster thing because it's like, haha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Pull that a little bit, like, towards, towards me. There we go. Then pull towards you. There we go. Perfect. Okay. Um,. You're good. It was kind of covering up your face a little bit. But now people can see your beautiful... <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, G- you get a little bit of that with Jesus. Like, there one time they tell him to pay taxes, and he gets a uh, coin from a fish. So, like, it's kind of like oh, yeah, that level the, of, like, like what silly. Is, is this is already Caesar's or something Yeah, like that? right, right. Get, uh, render on to Caesar what is Caesar's. And But you have nothing nothing like that at all. And I this circles back to... Uh, uh, my Hanuman story that my favorite one that I actually didn't get to talk about is when he gets that um he gets a necklace from Shiva I think from yeah I think from Shiva now it can't be Shiva I forget he gets some sort of necklace and he looks at it and he throws it away and everyone's like why are you throwing away this you know you you got gifted this beautiful pearl necklace like why are you just tossing it away and he's like, there was no, I couldn't find Ram on it at all. And so I got rid of it. And they're like, well, how are you going to show your devotion to Ram then? Uh, and that's and he, he rips, rips his, his chest. He rips open his chest. And there's uh, Ram and Shiva just sitting. Sita. Sita's just sitting in there. And I'm like, that's that's it. Like, I'm the first time I read that story, I wept like a baby. Because mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, like there's nothing that I could put on. Or like, you know, you, like even just speaking back to the universe of just being like, you've given me everything you've given me the mm-hmm. the the air in my breath uh, the air in my lungs the the fruit on the trees the water in the lakes like i can take none of that and give it back to you and it be adequate enough mm-hmm. p- 
praise for how good you are you know and i i love that it's like well then the best expression is well what if you just live in here you know ah mm-hmm. because yeah it's just it's just bueno it's just perfect chef's kiss no exactly and um so when I was in uh, Australia at this Krishna community, uh, you could do a karma yogi stay where you paid some money and then you did 20 hours of volunteer work, or you could do 30 hours of volunteer work and then they fed you, let you stay there. Okay. Um, and cool. they had, oh, it was, oh. Um, if you get a chance, go there. Best experience. Um, where is it? It's in Australia on the East coast. It's like an, uh, two or three hours South of Brisbane. It's okay. pretty close to Coolangatta. What's the name of the place? Uh, it's just called the Krishna Village. Okay. The town that it's in is Murwillumba. Okay, there you go. That sounds um, like a local name. That is, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like school. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I so they have like gardens where a lot of people do volunteer work, uh, which is absolutely amazing. Because mm. um, they have this one centropic garden, which is a new type of gardening that just came out of Brazil, where you take because um, this is how they're trying to fix the rainforest issue because you know it's getting cut down to put cow pastures there which is just an abomination right yeah um so you take one plant you let it grow up and then once it reaches its development or partial maturity you put smaller plants below it that require less direct sunlight approximately how much this bigger one covers and then you just keep moving it and changing it as it happens and then there's a whole lot of science that goes into this mm-hmm. because as you know the plants drop minerals and other things into the soil um so basically you flip your vegetables around pretty consistently so that way the goal is to take a patch of land that's almost useless to make it an orchard in 10 years mm, that's great um yeah and it's beautiful i can show you videos later but sure. the centropic garden was about three or four months old and they have these huge banana trees that have already started going in there and the permaculture gardens just making tiny heads of lettuce <laughs> That's great. Um, so, well, let's let's talk about India, man. Because uh, so you went from Australia then up onto India. Yeah, I mean, I did have a very short uh, layover in uh, China. Which oh. so when you go there, China is very specific about what you can't have in your backpack. Oh yeah. So uh, this was hilarious. Um, so I go through the metal detector, and they're like, "You have a lighter in your backpack," and I'm like, "Absolutely not! I threw this out." So I rummage through my backpack. I don't find one. They scan it. They say I have a lighter. So I do it a third time, and the guy like reaches in, pulls out a lighter that's ET flipping you off, looks at me, <laughs> and I just have this like, "Oh yeah, look at that!" Huh? <laughs> and that China is the worst country to get in trouble in, man. Yeah, because yeah, like, I'm having this oh, moment of like, no. don't arrest me, don't arrest me. And then they let me go. So I'm running all the way around the terminal trying to find my next flight, and I can't find the corridor that it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that I was supposed to go down a staircase and get on a bus to go to the totally other side of the airport. Oh, so I do that, and I get slammed in this uh, bus that like has two buses worth of people in there. Yeah, like everyone's sardined together. Um, Let's, we can share China nightmares later, but that, so then you went from there to to India, to which India. like okay, so this is all part of the same stretch, and this is actually not that funny, but I'm glad it worked <laughs> out. Um, so I got to India around two in the morning. Um, so I got to the terminal where you get your bags off. I'm waiting for it. The bags never come off the thing. So I'm trying to fill out this paperwork, which is like half Hindi, half English. So I'm sitting there Google translating this at three in the morning. Uh, so I end up giving it back to them uh, and I go outside and I'm trying to get an Uber to get to my hostel. And this guy walks up and he's like, Hey man, it's 4am. Let me just drive you there. Like the Ubers are going to take a while. And I'm like, all right, I guess we'll do this. We'll go. And this guy's driving me down the, 
like road in Delhi telling me about how much he loves Miami and how he wants to go there. And I'm like, I don't know. I think there's better places in the States. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we get to this alley and there's like this huge barricade there and a police officer to the right. And he says, Hey, your hostel's closed. Let me go talk to this police officer to see what's going on. So he gets out, talks to him, jumps back in, goes, this police officer has no idea. He's just here to protect the, uh, fence. <laughs> um, we have to go to this tourist station downtown. They have a map of the bridges because a festival just happened. And I'm like, there's not a festival. I swear I looked this up. I was trying to time my trip. Yeah. Um, so we get there and they're like, okay, here, we'll call the hostel. So they pick up the phone, start dialing. There's no answer. So they make me some chai tea and start trying to like upsell me on all these hotels that I want to like where I'm planning on going. And then they right. keep telling me I don't have enough money saved. And I'm like, what are you talking about? India costs like seven bucks a day to live really nice. I don't need 30 bucks a day for your houseboat option. Um, so anyway, they try calling again. They don't pick up. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go jump the fence. I'm ready for bed. Uh, so they get someone on the phone after they dial and they go, hey, this is the hostel. Uh, we're closed because of this uh, festival. We're going to refund your money within 72 hours. You should be getting an email uh, in a little bit. And as they're talking, I'm pulling out my phone, scrambling for my Gmail. And I see one that came from the hostel. And like my stu my heart drops to my stomach. And I open it. And the first line in the email is, under no circumstance should you take a taxi from the airport. They will take you down a road and tell you the hostel's closed. We're never closed. Wow. And I'm like, they're at four in the morning going, okay, so how far away am I from my hostel? And I pull up Google Maps and I'm 14 kilometers <sighs> at four in the morning. <laughs> um, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to go walk outside because they wouldn't drive me back. So I get there, I get in this uh, like three-wheeler tourists call them tuk-tuks, but yeah. the locals call them autos and they actually make fun of us for calling them tuk-tuks. I'm sure that they do. Um, so he takes me another two kilometers in the wrong direction to an even sketchier <laughs> uh, alley where there's like a whole bunch of street dogs and like no lights whatsoever and he starts yelling at me that i have to pay him so i give him one dollar bill us and i tuck it in his little shirt pocket and i'm like probably the most verbally abusive i ever have been to a human at that point to him so i start walking and i call my dad and i'm like hey you should check in on me every like i don't know 15 or 20 minutes because i'm not taking a ride anymore and i am what's 16 kilometers yes. probably like almost five miles away yeah. from my hotel so uh then i walked uh with just my one backpack so arguably it was a good thing i lost my bags on oh, the way yeah, over because otherwise i would have had two backpacks to carry oh <laughs> jesus so did you end up losing all that stuff no i got it back like the morning i was about to leave delhi <sighs> which was nice because i was having this like delhi's i like i was in delhi okay I, yeah um i spent a night uh, yeah i just spent one night there i, was, I actually saw got to see mother Teresa's tomb which oh. was kind of cool that's yeah. Really nice. Yeah, you don't I mean it's one of those things where it's like you don't I wasn't like seeking it out, but it was mm -hmm. like I'm I oh, stayed at I yeah. stayed at the place that it was. So it wasn't even on the way. I just happened to be staying at the her um I was going to say nunnery, but that's not the it might be the right word. Whatever covenant Mo uh, monastery monastery whatever the female equivalent yeah. of that. Um uh, I think it might be a covenant. Covenant whatever. Anyways, I was there. I yeah. That that town is different. So where'd you go from there then? Uh, so from Delhi, I went to Rishikesh, which is the birthplace of yoga, um, a big part where in the Ramayana, your story with Hanuman for those following, um, they had to cross the river uh, to go get, uh, what's the demon's name, Ravana? Ravana. Classic demon. Uh, yeah, who stole his wife. <laughs> oh. Um, so, okay, so then, so he, so Hanuman did have to go retrieve a bride. 
Yeah. Is that correct? Because um, that's the same, at least, like, in theory, uh, Jesus comes to establish a bride, it being the the Christian church. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just so interesting that the universe in two different areas was, like, I, I need a figure to go get what, like, my beloved, mm-hmm. you know? Sorry. Cut no, you off in the is, middle of the story. That is close. Um, that reminds me of this thing with Krishna and Radha, which sure. I'll go back to. Um, so anyway, I was in Rishikesh. From there, I went to uh, Manali, which uh, is a little bit north. It's right by this town called Manala, which is the hash capital of Asia. Oh, really? Um, very nice town. It's also the honeymoon <laughs> capital of India. Really? Um, yeah, they have uh, whitewater rafting. Does that have anything to do with rides? the hash? Probably. <laughs> I mean, a lot of what's the, the laws for drugs over there? So in each state, there is one town that's allowed to sell bong lassies, which is a like hash milkshake. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> um, as far as like, hash so milkshake. there's kind of this like weird gray area where it's for the Shivites. It's actually a like religious tool for them because Shiva, you know, when you see him, he's always depicted stoned. Um, and it just grows on the road, so people will smoke it. But um, I actually watched a Sikh and a like Muslim, I mean, not a Muslim, a Hindu, mm. uh, have a little conversation because the Hindu was smoking it. The Sikh was like, no, 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 no. You don't smoke it. You rub it on your hands to get the mm. oils in that way. <laughs> yeah, because there is, I've seen this with uh, some people that they argue that uh, marijuana should always only be consumed orally. I mean, like in a, a drink mixture and being the best version of it or whatever. I mean, but Yeah, if you're doing that, mix it with milk. Oh really? I don't know. It has like some potentiation that does it, and it's so is that why they did a milkshake? Yeah, I mean, it's not really a milkshake. It's just the closest thing I can compare it to Mm because it's like milk, sugar, maybe a little bit of of flour, and then this like big old ball of hash. That's so funny because I saw some hash being made at work the other day, and I'm like, that would be cool to like mix into like some ice cream. Yeah, but uh, yeah, India already has that. So the town (laughs) um, that. I had eventually gone to Varanasi, the oldest still inhabited city on the planet. Um, yeah, it's over 6,000 years old, I think. Wow. Oh, uh, it's just full of all these me- wow. meandering, like, streets, streets that just yeah. go random places. It's really cool to see. Wow. But um, right outside of there is Sarnath, where Siddhartha Gautama gave his first uh, lecture. Okay. And I am totally blanking on the name, but there's also a Jainist holy ground in that uh, city as well. Wow. So, um, but they they sell the bong lassi, and that's a really big popular thing. Is for like people to morbid town, but is to like you know get stoned on this drink and then go sit and watch the uh, burning gats. Gats. Uh, like public cremation. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What's the uh, thought behind that? Is it just something well, that they do? Well, so it's next to the Ganges River, which is this like holy incarnate force for them. But um, the flames that are going on in the burning gat. I want to say haven't gone out in 3,000 years. Wow. I might be a little too long with that. But anyway, it's just perpetually the same flame uh, burns every person. And the belief is that if you die in the city, uh, you don't reincarnate again and you just reach moksha. So um, walking around the streets, this town's peculiar because you have your normal India set up. But then you also have ascetics who are in their like final set of life where they've renounced the world and they're just trying to meditate for the last 10 years of their life Mm -hmm. um and then there's also these are very hard to like talk to um, because they'll scream at you uh they're called agoris Mm -hmm. um these are like the most serious 
like people in the Eastern mindset, and there's only a couple of them that ex- are in Varanasi for the most part. So they cover their body in human ash from the burning ghats, mm-hmm. uh, and they meditate on like just the. I don't know impermanence of life. Sure. Uh, so instead of having a begging bowl, they actually eat out of a skull. Is wow. what you have to like give your donations to them in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of them are known to like dig a hole and sit there for like a week straight and not move at all, regardless of anything. Yeah. So they'll just sit in their own excrement, like meditating on like I am not the self, I am everything. Right. Man, what a way to go. I mean, not go like, but like, what a path to be on. You I know. Yeah, the and I think what's interesting is I I I remember hearing um, I mean you would know Neem Karoli Baba um, right so uh, I remember hearing somebody talk about how he would make uh, you know Indian men do different yoga practices than Western men and he would say it's because your body is built different and Carl uh, yeah Carl Jung has a belief that he kind of he says he's like if I don't necessarily agree with him, and even Carl Jung himself pragmatically doesn't agree with himself in this, but it's it's best to stay within your culture because you, it's easy for your brain to form pathways onto one coherent narrative, mm-hmm. whereas you know someone like you and I, we're trying to shove every whatever, Thing and we, ha- we reap the benefit of that because we see it in more places then, but we don't have the, at least for me, I'll speak, my brain bridge for moving forward is built on a lot of like well this is taken from christianity and this Mm -hmm. is taken from buddhism and it's like it was a lot easier for me before when it was my when i was like more of a fundamental christian and like Mm -hmm. was overseas doing missionaries work that time i was like just bible like just focus on that and then just whatever and again that's kind of why i like the idea of devotion because you can just like hinder onto one thing but then i find myself being like well i just love i just love the thing and i see it I want to see it everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. like what do these people have to say about the thing? Like, you know, and yeah. And that's, um, and sometimes I have moments where I'm kind of just like, how are you not on this wavelength when I get too into that mindset? Mm-hmm. Um, and Ramdas has a quote, which is imagine that everyone you're talking to is just God in drag. Right. Yeah. Um, so I try to use this as one of my slowdown moments whenever I'm like, what is going on? How are you not getting this is like, no, 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 they get it better than me. And they are trolling me. Right. Right. <laughs> well, then it's like, and I, I guess there's a part of me. that's like, do you really even want me to be explaining that? Like, if you want this, you'll like you'll ask for it. You mm-hmm. know, like I see a lot with these holy pe- like teachers, even that they're there is a little bit of like going into the square and being like, "Hear me!" But most of the time, it's them off doing something, and then people come up and being like, "What I, are you doing? What are you I'm, doing?" Like, mm-hmm. I want and and that's what you know. Peter says to Jesus when Jesus asks him who he thinks that he is. He's he says you're the christ you're the one who holds the words of life and so that's you see in in peter he has this thirst where jesus is just happens to be the thing that he can drink from Mm -hmm. jesus isn't walking around i guess he is to some degree being like drink he literally says like drink for me but he's speaking to his devotees and i just i don't know i i i'd like i can't even remember why i brought this up but this yeah the idea of the individual being being the the one that is drawn you know Mm -hmm. instead of this force like no you have to do these or whatever it is yeah and it comes into this whole like trying to picture the world as the thing that you're like 
interacting with all the time and being mm. instead of being like um it's something. you know i'm making love with my partner to be like everything i'm doing is making love with the world so like anytime you're like oh man look at this curtain you're like having this beautiful intimate experience with this curtain and it is with you right um and trying to like honor that intimacy of all bodies but like you know at the same token we're meant to consistently forget because this is the challenge of the right. beauty of remembering <laughs> right and that's you know and again like i think that is like even a a, a part of enlightenment is being like oh wait i'm going to forget you know mm -hmm. and then like being aware and like heck man like i i i can't remember what book this is in but i know it's it's just this idea of i think i get at least to a certain degree I think for human beings, we're just kind of kind of build something up and then break it, you know, because mm -hmm. we're just we we like challenge. And until I think we I don't know what stage that is until we get to this place of like, OK, we no longer actually, I, you know, what? I had this conversation with my uh, mom the other day. who She comes on the podcast a bunch. Um, but we were talking about I wonder if we ever get to a place and you can probably answer this for me. But do we get to a place where death or the challenge or the struggle is a part of the spiritual journey because my argument is like i don't understand how you can just the 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 universe to me and this where i'm at currently is seems very like balanced and so it's like well if i want to go up i kind of have to go down first you know mm -hmm. so i don't understand how i'll get i'll i will use that motion somehow to get up and then i'll get to a place where then i'm just only going up in positive ways even though arguably that as the going up is just all positive it's my ego perspective on the thing there's mm -hmm. the answer yeah and the difficulty of that is um there's an episode of the twilight zone mm -hmm. where this guy is trapped in this hotel and he's like every day he's having a party and every time he goes to the casino he wins a bunch of money and there's always these people there and he has this moment where he's talking to this guy in a suit and he's like why am i here everything keeps happening the way i want and the guy goes well i'm the devil and this is hell yeah, yeah. um so like there is like this certain bit of like happiness to like dang it why'd you take this away from me right and i guess i don't know where like the i think and this is i mean if i'm forgive me if i'm pronouncing this incorrect but the bhagavad gita gets to this place of like just don't be attached to any of it to the to the coming and the going to the falling and the yeah because like everything is birthless like um so i have this little tattoo for slaughterhouse five yeah um if you've ever read that by kurt vonnegut no i haven't i highly recommend it um i mean if you've got 1984 by george orwell i'd say that like <laughs> it's probably around along the same sure. writing style but um it's this story of was kurt vonnegut but like he created a character uh, like traveling through time with these like fourth dimensional aliens that show him that like everything's always happening and whenever mm -hmm. someone dies they have this saying where they go so it goes because like there really is no such thing as time because it's sure. like always not happening happening and like happened mm -hmm. um and, well, time like, is a matter of perspective let's yeah say. so this is where i've been stuck on my understanding of what time is is um so if you take a higher dimensional shape and move it through a lower dimension you have like rendering that gets cut off so if you take a sphere and pass it through the second dimension 
uh, you could imagine like looking at a piece of paper and it'd start with a dot expanded to the circle and then go back to this dot. Mm -hmm. um, so with us here in the third dimension, you could argue there's some fourth dimensional shape, which could be completely cohesive and every part is non-changing, which keeps in line with this religious uh, unchained backbone right. um, that is just being passed through the third dimension. So you have the Big Bang where everything expands out of like this one singularity, mm -hmm. uh, comes to fruition via entropy and then reverses backwards. And that might be all we have. And time is just the segmentation of like three dimensional shapes. Well, and also time is, I think I actually did uh, an episode on this a while back on just kind of a little bit of the nature of time, which as I say that, I'm like, who the hell am I to speak on the nature of time? You know, like what a, like what a fucking bold <laughs> thing for me to do Just here, everybody. Let me speak about the nature of time. Uh, but I think it's important to remember that time is, time is not separate from space that time and space are one coherent mm -hmm. thing you know and so as we have space and there's even an argument man to be to be made that as long as there's an argument to be made that there is there is not nothing and so if there is always something then mm -hmm. there is always space and therefore always time yeah, and I think the time that we are encapsulated in is what you know all the holy texts would call you're you're inside of eternity. Eternity is happening, and that's the best word that we have for it here. But you are happening. Your time, your perspective of whatever the hell that is, is happening inside of this larger. Yeah, thing because the it's the you are the universe experiencing itself right um so yeah by all means we are like this little segment happening within it yeah and i i and i don't know i it's too bold of me to say that i could be aware of anything outside of that little thing i yeah especially because i can the, only the, make i can only write books of poetry about it or like songs you yeah, know like one of the most difficult parts is like especially like dramatically changing the perspective you look at it from mm -hmm. so um dr sapolsky uh he's some type of neurobiologist for i believe harvard um he had done this really cool series where his entire class got Human Behavioral Biology. I got put up on YouTube and you can watch it. It's like nice. 20 hours in total. Uh, but anyway, the like punchline at the end of the whole class is his assumption that there might not actually be humans or creatures. It's just genes representing themselves. And he poses this one question of are you sure that people actually exist or like with the, what came first, the chicken or the egg, you could mm -hmm. say that the egg is the only thing that exists. And like our entire existence is just this fabrication. So that way the genes in this chicken can get passed on again. And it's just making another egg. Right. And, and we're all, you know, auxiliary. The real thing is the egg itself, the unmanifest. Right. Whoo. Ah, God, I love it. Thanks for coming <laughs> on along, man. Um, yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, I'm not going to be able to compete off of anything that, like, a, a Harvard professor said after a 20 <laughs> thing of lecture. But I, 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 for me, found it, found it so comforting to be like, oh, I'm inside of this thing. Like, actually, like, the actual, like, revelation of, like, oh, wait, the, the ground that I'm standing on is mm -hmm. sacred because it's, it's inside, again, the thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I just think, and again, I think that's, 
I think that's part of it's so much easier to do the remembering once you remember that like it's and it, this is a problem with any sort of kind of devotion religion is that the holy is kind of off and it, it's somewhere else and you have to go on this quest to find it but in the finding you're like oh it's everywhere mm-hmm. and that is kind of the trajectory of enlightenment in yeah and in that's west why um you know they nickname Buddhism as Hinduism for export because like Hinduism. <laughs> I just love. Can I just cut you off real quick? Yeah. I really love just Buddha coming in and just being like, "This just a mess." There's just like it's just no. way just way too much. Because I mean, Jesus did. I I love talking about this with my girlfriend. We talk about how Jesus and Buddha, not necessarily around the same time, but close enough, were like coming into their religions and being like, "Let's." let's clean this up a little bit and mm-hmm. make it more user-friendly for people like around us that they don't have to necessarily like do the you know the indian thing or the jewish thing to be in this thing mm-hmm. but there's a mode of being that can be embodied and let's just focus on that because that's universal yeah exactly yeah uh, and i'm sorry i cut you off you were talking so about Buddhism is hinduism for export i don't remember <laughs> where were we like one step before that one i can't remember either buddy i'm so sorry that i cut you off um, is there anything else you want to talk about from India? Anything that, like, any stories or anything that, like, um, ring a bell that you want to... Well, I guess with the synchronicities while I was talking uh, about, like, how there's just all this, like, small stuff that happens, I got two funny ones. Sure. Um, so, when I was trying to leave Rishikesh, I was sitting in an auto waiting to get taken to the bus stop, but, um, <laughs> taxi drivers have this thing where they think they're funny and just pretend <laughs> they don't speak English. Yeah, uh, even though they like, get taught You can it tell school. they speak English. Yeah. Um, and then even if you speak Hindi to them, they don't care. Right. Um, so anyway, I'm sitting there for a good, like, five or ten minutes going, like, what is this guy doing to me? Uh, and this uh, other guy walks up to me and pokes his head in the auto and goes, get in the one with me. I'm tired of waiting on them. We're going to get going. Mm-hmm. So I sit there. I start talking to him. And it turns out he'd been in India for ten years. He lived in the same town that I was in in Australia. <laughs> um, and wow. it was just like, Whoa. Uh, that was incredible. Um, and then the other moment that was really crazy when I was in Manali, um, there was this group of, I think they were from a handful of different countries, but they were all getting their master's degree in Germany at a college together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were in India because one of the guys was a, had grown up in India, so he was taking them around different places. Um, we actually went around town looking for uh, chadas or like a bag of like government weed that you can get, mm-hmm. which was hilarious. We got recommended to find a wow. guy named Cobra, <laughs> um, which like there's a lot of people going by the nickname Cobra. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's funny because uh, that's hilarious, man. I in we don't I don't really want to go down this path, but I'll just say this real quick. In Taiwan, they only have a certain amount of nicknames that they like. Everyone shared. Like I know two small whites. Like, mm-hmm. Xiaobai is their name. I know two of them over in Taiwan. Or I know three or two Xiaopunks. Small mm-hmm. fat is what that means. And so, yeah, I'm like, huh, I wonder. And that, so I don't, I haven't been able to, like, spend enough time looking back on my own culture to see if we only have, like, but maybe if that's. I mean, there is this uh, distribution called Ziff's Law, which pretty much says that if you take a sample of whatever it is, uh, 80% of the time things pop up will be from the top 20% of use cases. Uh, so, like, this pops up in, um, like, work. So, like, since I have a bunch of offices I manage, we have every year this big how do we increase productivity because it's believed that only 80% of the people that work there actually try, which is ridiculous to me. It's 
20%. Um, and 80% of the, like, payload comes from them. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, this pops up in uh, voting when you check, like, distributions on that, as well as um, words used uh, in books that follows the same 80-20 rule, along with, uh, like, the amount of letters you use when spelling sentences. The vowels ultimately take up 80% of the, like, characters, but are only, like, 20% of the letters used. Right. Um, wow. It's one of those thumbprints of God. Mm -hmm. How was I trying to tie this in with the 80-20 rule? <sighs> man. I don't know. What were we talking about? thought. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, India. Oh, yeah. So anyway, um, I don't remember how I got here, but the group of people that were, that I was hanging out with, the one guy was actually teaching in Harrisburg the coming <laughs> month, uh, some class there to uh, bachelor degree students, and he'd never been to the States, and it was just one of those, I meet you here in India, and you're about to live 45 minutes from me. Wow. On the That's other insane. side of this planet. Yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it so much. Dude, okay, so we're gonna take a handbrake turn, but let's let's talk about your album that's coming out. Okay. So, well, I guess it's not. So, is you are in a band called Make Up the Breakdown, or are you Make Up the Breakdown? Or am I saying that wrong? It depends on the song. I go okay. Um, so what happens is like I do the vast majority of the writing. I do all the mixing, mastering, and like album artwork and whenever we make merch i'm the one that assembles it but sure um i am by far the worst musician out of our collective <laughs> <laughs> i feel that which is funny whenever i'm the one that's like all right i wrote this song and everyone's like hey that's great kyle you wrote another four uh, chord progression <laughs> yeah we, we're gonna change this for you yeah that's great um so like luke typically plays the drums um sometimes he sings and every time he sings those are always the best quality songs he has like a much better command of his voice sure but like on the same token um like uh, i'm not gonna let you looks, be that self-deprecating you do no, a good no, no. job too no, i mean i appreciate it it's just like you know everyone has their own skills I, and yeah, mine is just consistent output um mm. and his is more so quality sure um which I is get nice that. so when we have like uh album writing sessions he's much more hey you got to redo this and fix this it doesn't sound good enough and i'm like what do you mean i recorded it once we're great yeah that would that's me but recording by myself and all my albums and then looking back and years later being like huh this could i could have done better but mm -hmm. just is what it is yeah so how long have you been working on this album? So this one, see, that's a tough answer because some of these songs, um, since I don't really see Luke, like I haven't seen Luke face to face since February of last year. Um, I just have. Are you guys those internet bands that just, I mean, put all your like practice I mean, through the internet? We don't really practice through the internet. So for the sure. most part, I that's have like 25 different like tracks of Luke playing the drums. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about different stuff that we want to do. Um, but this is also mixed in with him being like, oh, man, I'm getting this delicious dinner right now and they're going to take half an hour. So I'm just calling you because I'm bored. Mm. Uh, and then we'll start like talking album stuff um, right. and then like work it in. But normally I'll try to have him gather different quotes that he likes or I'll put them together. Um, this time I involved Luke the least on the writing process. Oh, really? Um I mean, he's been very, very So have you used Luke in the past on your past albums? So, yeah, Luke's been since, what, 2015, 
14. Uh, okay. We've been doing pro- music together. Uh, we had a bunch of side projects we did, which are kind of fun because now I'm able to pick back up and being like, oh, man, we filled a room with like 30 different microphones and we each had two crystal glasses that we were rubbing <laughs> to try to get these different effects. Yeah. Um, and then be able to play with that or use like stuff going backwards. Mm. Um, so like one of the songs we wrote on the uh, album self, the title song for that, uh, that song is the same forwards and backwards. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, this is another thing is we will boldly go places that aren't necessarily for the sake of a great song, but more right. so for the uh, what is it called? Um, like postmodern art where okay. it's the story behind how it was created. Right. Is sure. The real sells, bitch. Right. Um, but this one we wrote the first 10 songs that accompanies the first 10 cards of the tarot deck, which I couldn't recite all of them in order if I had to. Sure. Um but so basically um as we're writing this we take like each card um and then there's this one book called 78 degrees of freedom which basically tells each card what it means the like imagery on it how it's has its esoteric meaning or Mm -hmm. some type of applicable thing uh and then we have like imagery that we etch into it so it's not necessarily the most obvious but as you listen to this album um it starts off with the person standing on a beach line uh, and walking around and ultimately going up to the woods uh, through this uh, to then go out to the desert, um, which is kind of where we have the narrative ending right now. We have to end it. So we have the last song written mm-hmm. uh, because we had to like create a way to tie it back in, which also, if you do listen to the album, the first song, The Fool, um, is kind of a jarring song and it's a little uncomfortable. Sure. But that's also because in the Tarot series, The Fool is simultaneously the first card but also kind of the last card sure um so that was written in a way that like if you went through this whole series you would kind of be like oh we're back to this but it it really kind of does get you because it's all based on this like there's not a safe starting place Uh, your perspective of like what's a good person is based on standing on other people that you're labeling to be bad and the only Mm -hmm. way to really grow from this is to appreciate what you have and live in the present moment Mm -hmm. but the way that's presented is kind of jarring because we only have like 90 seconds on that song (laughs) (laughs) that's fun yeah i yeah man i think that's something i've always appreciated about you is that you don't try to sit by the standards whereas i'm like i can kind of fuck with the standards like that's why i like kind of like traditional folk music a lot more because i'm like i'll take a four chords that sounds great to me let's just ride those i dig that and my favorite part about your set uh, especially when it's like just you is when you're sitting on your suitcase doing that like that's just so intuitive thanks man um yeah i mean you know we'll be like oh man let's put the screwdriver next to the guitar so it sounds crazier than like play this recorder backwards but that's just because we're looking for weird textures yeah. like it's much more appreciative to be like hey here's a like system that works because mm. like i can't play covers all that well which stops our band from doing them sure which like i'm the only one that can't play covers <laughs> which is kind of unfortunate when we do practices um i feel that man i i don't have time for covers I'm yeah. like, I'll learn, like, if I want to learn to play a song, I'll learn to play a song. But, like, the amount of, I, yeah, I don't, we don't need to talk about that right now. But, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, just, it's for me, it's always been more fun to be, like, how good of a song can I make? And, like, that's just always been my thing, man. I was in my first band when I was 13 as well. So, mm-hmm. like, I, or 13 or 15, somewhere in, in that neck of the woods, I, I definitely started, like, being interested in, like, po- <clears throat> poetry and all that stuff at a very young age um 
and then that was the whole reason I wanted to get into, fuck, this swung naturally into another thing that we can talk about. I've always wanted to, I always saw music as a backdrop for lyrics. Yes. And I've, because my first introduction into music, uh, like, music outside of just kind of this vague thing that happens in Walmart, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> um, like, music as like a living, breathing thing, I was mm-hmm. introduced that to that idea through bright eyes and i don't know if you know who yeah, they are yeah i but, really uh the album first day of my life is yeah such a great yeah that's a that the the album that that's that's on was the first bright eyes album that i ever listened to and that that just it just blew my my mind because it was like i sat down with it and i was like i didn't i just didn't realize that music could do that to you you know just mm-hmm. one of those things and i don't know how to express that other than than that i um do you know the band foxing no uh um they're pretty cool they're like pretty diy but also very produced from st louis okay um they were he i like how diy doesn't necessarily mean very produced and you're right you're well, absolutely so right. it's because like those people they all went to college in this band okay. to be music engineers right so it's them doing it but it's like it's not diy yet it is right sure um it's like if i tell you i diy taxes it's mm-hmm. like yeah but i'm a professional at it. <laughs> that's funny Uh, (laughs) so they were talking about how uh to jeremy balm the singer for touche amore okay um on the hard the hard time.net's first ever podcast that they do uh where when foxing writes an album they really or maybe it was touche amore i can't remember but they see it as this like four stage development where it's the stage of uh, creating an album in your head when it's just you and your bandmates sitting around talking about stuff and that's like one living layer of this album mm-hmm. the next one is the like composition of it like the time recording it is like this its own life that it has then there's the experience of listening to it and then the fourth one is the experience of seeing it live right um and like this has definitely been something i'm trying to move towards just because like for me as being someone that predominantly writes and records this and also plays it i have those you know three that are done but uh, definitely i've enjoyed writing this album the most because we have a narrative to stick to where before it'd been hey i have 57 different poems i wrote let's cipher through this and find the four that we like the most right yeah yeah so Okay, just a little peek behind the curtain. You and I have a, I would say, a deep appreciation for Aaron Weiss. Oh who, my gosh, yes. Who is the uh, uh, front man for the band Me Without You. Um, I don't even know where to begin, but... Well, okay, so for those of you who don't know, Me Without You is this, I don't know, what even kind of band, it's like, like, post-melodic, I don't, uh, is that, they're not post-melodic, because they are melodic, but they're, they kind of were birthed out of that hardcore scene, but they didn't really go that route, but they did, but there was a lot more talky vocals than Yeah, and really then they screamy. had their, like, folk period. Right, they had, like, um, I love that album, and, I mean, Brother, si- Brother Sister, is a great album yeah i think that might just that might be peak me without you and i think they've always trying to kind of it's like that that. and it's all crazy um, yeah are definitely my favorite like i just every time i go through that album i just find another thing that i like more and more and like allah 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 is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite songs Mm -hmm. by them which is just crazy because i don't think 
you'd ever really see that one played live. No, I think they did. I've, I, I mean, I've never seen them live, but I have seen videos of them doing it live. I think, I think that came out of like this this weird thing of them being like, well, you're a Christian band, and them being like, well, not really. And yeah, because uh, you, know, you know, Aaron teaches Islamic history, right? And he, I mean, he is. I mean, he's Islamic. His dad was. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure both of his parents were. Have you ever read the book? Uh, some guy wrote a book about Aaron. Yeah, Weiss. what is it? The pretty little words on pages. Yeah, something like that. I have it. Oh, it's in a box somewhere. I want to read that book so. Bad. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he. So I guess we should explain why. But Aaron, this this songwriter, and okay, so we're and I guess probably most people would know this about me who listen to this, but I'm a songwriter as well. Um, and so I for I. I, I'll speak for you a little bit, but this, I love him because he takes all of these, I mean, either verbatim or ideas throughout, you know, Rumi or Islamic texts or the Bible or mm-hmm. Thomas Merton, who's a Catholic priest. He takes all of these ideas or, like I said, vor- verbatim lines from them and integrates them into these songs. And they're just, it just, it's in, it's such a beautiful thing of worship, you know. And I don't really talk mm-hmm. about that. That might worship might be the first time I've said that on this podcast. After this will be the forty first episode, mm-hmm. so but so it's not really something I talk about. But it's for me these songs are just no, they, like each they do of them nothing is but kind of like going to church, you know. Oh way. yeah, but like you don't feel that way. No, uh, but like that really is what's happening. And, and that's I want. I wish I could get to that level, you know. Mm-hmm. Just but. Okay, I'm going to shut up and let you, no, you babble on about him. Uh, there's uh, this one interview. I mean, there's only a handful of interviews from him on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But there was one where they were asking about his writing process. And he went, well, one day someone came up and said, "I'm uh, your lyrics changed me so much. And his response was, I'm sorry. <laughs> because he's like, when I write songs, I just have like 150 different ideas. And I categorize them. And they just start getting compiled. And mm. But like the way they do it is similar to... Uh, the way against me kind of writes mm. lyrically is they don't necessarily rhyme, mm-hmm. but they move it in a way that fits the song where it's just so perfect. Like the Fox, the crow and the cookie. Mm. Like if you just sat down and started trying to play that without knowing how Aaron sang it, you couldn't do it because no. there's all these like it switches to like a triplet mm-hmm. meter and then back. Yeah. It's, I mean, even just him as a performer, because he was, you know, I was think, okay, so I've been listening uh, at work. I listened to, uh, 90s alt rock and grunge radio station Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because i i hear one hit wonders and then i also hear pearl jam and then i hear you know another one hit wonder and then i hear nirvana and i'm like i and i just listen to grunt but like you can tell what i mean it's just that i can it's crazy to me that there are people that are like we just we came along and like the band just kind of we made a hit, we did a song, and we just blew away. Oops, sorry. But then there's other bands like Nirvana and whatever that just the characters of these people were so impactful and they were so much an, a part of the, these songs mm-hmm. that they gave them more flavor and more essence. And Aaron is so alive and so much so of a character that he's just... And I feel bad for everyone else in his band because I don't... Like, I'm sure people care about him, but he's so much of a yeah, exactly. charismatic... Yeah, like, like, quest gets no love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, nah, I mean, 
their whole band's interesting. Like, they just mm-hmm. did so much. Like, when they were a small band, they used to set up tables at their shows with free fruit for people who mm-hmm. came to listen to them. Yeah, because they used and, to just dumpster dive. And yeah, probably would and their just... van at one point was powered by cooking oil that they would get from, like, restaurants. Like, it's just... It's like the Rainbow Community made a Christian band. <laughs> yeah. And then tried to, like, you know, really, really hide the fact that, like, it is so religious by mixing in all of these really fine contemporary works into it. Yeah. And I, I, for me, have always tried to, I've always wished I had this balance of like, I, I, I hope I'm at an early stage of something cool happening to me in my writing process because I'm at a, I'm at a strong plateau and I'm like, now if you're, if you're going to get better, now is the time to get better, you know? Mm -hmm. And, so I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I do that? And like, I, 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 I really appreciate people using things that exist in the general zeitgeist and then, and punching them up a little bit. Right. And like, and like I said, he just did such a good job with just tapping into, I don't know, just all of this rich spiritual history but then again you don't you listen to it and you can just sing along and you don't realize you're singing Mm -hmm. some incredibly profound truths you know yeah exactly and they do it effortlessly Um, at least seemingly so mm -hmm. i mean i'd imagine there's a lot of work that goes into it but like their performance is amazing because you know these guys at this point are well into their 40s i saw them what the very end of 2018 uh, down in Philly, and it opened with, uh, what is that, 9.27 a.m., 7.29, <coughs> and Aaron just stage-dived, like, right at the beginning of the show, and I was just so thrown away, because it, like, breaks out into this, like, mosh pit, and my brother just goes, nope, I'm going to the back, can't hang. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. And he's just, like, crowd-surfing, screaming on all these people as they're, like, carrying him around, and it's just, like... This That's dude's, amazing. like, twice my age and rocks harder than me. Well, I'm sure then he just sits around most of the next day kind of recovering. <laughs> Probably. Well, hey, man, we're uh, we're getting close to wrap-up time. Anything else that you'd like to talk about or say before we uh, close this bad boy up? I always like to ask people just to say some sort of, you know, we're living in, you know, let's say the time of Cali and just mm-hmm. this, this incredibly bad, just... It's difficult. Difficult time. It's not bad in a cosmic sense. It's just difficult in the the personal sense. You know. So, what's some just in words of encouragement? Some what's something that's helped you through the just this time or just through life? What's some words of wisdom or encouragement you can impart? The three greatest questions a human will ever encounter in their life are: Who am I? How did I get here? And where am I going? Mm. If you can answer those questions, you can answer anything. There you go. All right. Well, I don't think I, I got anything else to say. Where can people find you if they want to find you? Um, well, I mean, if you're looking for me for taxes, uh, Jackson <laughs> Hewitt. Um, One more time. With, I'll, I won't laugh. Say it again. Or you can say it as a joke. It's fine. That's good. Um, if you're looking for the music, um, if you wait till August 9th, uh, if you check out Spotify, iTunes, YouTube Music, Pandora, etc., uh, you can find Make Up the Breakdown's new album, Path of the Fool, up there. We've got, I don't know, four or five other albums up on those streaming services. Uh, the important thing to remember is we're not the album by Hot Hot Heat. We're the band. We're just named after that album. 
fantastic all right buddy um yeah i thank you so much for doing this i feel like if you don't mind i would love to have you back on sometime absolutely this yeah. was a lot of fun i feel i i really like having conversations like this because then it's like a good groundwork and we can we've already began to build those neural pathways and just understand each other and next conversation will just be more insightful and be able to you know build on so i'm excited to for direct that, man. to something interesting i um if you're looking for a weird conversation next time, I've been reading this uh, book called The Psychedelic Gospel. Okay. Which, um, did you read The Da Vinci Code? No. Oh, man. Have no. you read Sacred Mushroom and the Cross? I haven't. Okay. But this is the same idea. I'm, you have to say it has to be up that um, idea. Whatever church it is that's mentioned in The Da Vinci Code, they talk about there being some like treasure in there. Mm-hmm. But this, coincidentally, is the same place. They have these like statues of these spiritual beings and they have mushrooms on their head mm, mm-hmm. um, I'm still at the beginning of this book but anyway the, I think it'd be interesting to have an interesting talk about like shamanism's applicability through them because I do have some very interesting ayahuasca stories I'm happy to share sure. yeah I would love I've 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 only ever done marijuana <laughs> so I don't really have any other stories to share with that but I'm so super curious about oh, it oh yeah we can do an anthogen week <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's good alright buddy well yeah and I like I I have a whole, like, I am not against those things at all, and I want to try them. It's more of I am super, uh, they're super potent for me. Oh, absolutely. So, like, like I, uh, I react, I have had two times where I've, on edibles, I've had, like, visions mm-hmm. and, like, psychedelic visions. And so I'm like, well, if this happens on just marijuana, I want to be able to go into these things, like, with the best head state that I can be, mm-hmm. like... You know, it's kind of like walk up the mountain, then take the thing. You yeah, know? I they're definitely tools, um, and I see them as the like using an elevator instead of taking the road. But the matter right. of fact is, if you take the elevator up, you got to walk the path back down, and it's way <laughs> easier to walk the path down if you walked it up. Right. So yeah. like, I see them as a quick way to get the spiritual guidance, but unless you're willing to do the like counter work, mm-hmm. um, I don't recommend it being your like, well, this is how I find God. That should probably be through like meditation. And or devotion. mantra or devotional sir yeah bhaga, and like bhaga. loving your neighbor like mm-hmm. well, and like actually loving your neighbor the same way that you would love anyone else because right. like uh, you know love in the west is very tied to this idea of controlling other people the same mm-hmm. way people have these anal retentive like i need everything right uh which goes to your everything seems more anxious now yeah point from earlier right. um all right well point being you can come back at some time <laughs> and uh yeah uh, I'm yeah super happy that I have people like you in my life to have on this podcast and that people like you exist because I know according to the Kabbalahs the physical universe is held together by righteousness and you going out and seeking yourself and trying to do all these great things in, in India and here it's yeah you're holding together the universe. So I appreciate you doing that because I live here and don't need it collapsing. Yeah. Thanks, Timmy. As Ram Dass says, we're all just walking each other home. Amen. Fuck yeah, buddy. (laughs) I love it so much. See you, every man. Every man. Every man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to correct myself on the video, but on the audio, we're all one. It's every man, woman. It's all the same.